Welcome to Finding the Others with me, Neil Omurku, and my co-host, Brian Penny. It really, just what you're saying there, it's like, I haven't been reading any ancient texts in recent times, but what, what you're saying there as well, all of these ancient teachings, they always always bring us back to this one, to, to, to these singular messages all of the yeah. time, and the same message in each of the religions. And there was one thing that... Um, that teaching you were saying the the bagan the baganic vita how, how do you bagan, pronounce that bagugita yeah the su- surrender is the uh, is the message within that and what I found is there's a very similar message within all of the different other religions as well so it's like I'll, I'll add another point there I'll come back to that but one of the big things is and the biggest learning that that I have come across is that we are all in a struggle. Yeah, and it taps into that. So we're all on the struggle. So we need to let go of the struggle, you know that way. But there was three of the biggest religions. Like I, I don't even know if Buddhism is a religion. I suppose the philosophy of way of life. But this is just something that stuck with me. And, and dukkha is what they talk about in Buddhism, right? Yeah. So it basically means suffering. So Buddhism sort of says the the essence of life, human life, is suffering. And what we have to do, we have the eightfold path, and the four noble truths yeah. to take us away from the essence of who we are, which is our suffering. That's what it's all about. And then in Hinduism, I love. I read a book. Hindu book as well one time I love I love their teachings as well and they says like Maya the mind yes. is Maya which means delusion or mm. Ill- illusion yeah. transformed into delusion where we just don't know what's going on so we're all tapped for want of a better yeah. word and then the one that really jumped out at me it was Christianity yeah, and it was the word sin and I, I love et- I, lo- I love words I love yeah. language and I love finding the meaning of different words and I looked into the etymology the meaning of the word sin and what it means is it doesn't mean to do something bad yeah. it actually means to miss to miss the point of life which is presence which is the present yeah. moment the, 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 the joy that we can have because the suffering and the delusion of our mind takes us away from that and as you mentioned it's it's a uh, surrender is the path to get yeah. us there it's fascinating. But when you think about sin, that is, um, to me, that makes more sense, that meaning. Yeah. But it's definitely not the sense that I would have had before you explained that. Yeah. You know, for me, because of growing up in Ireland and all that kind of stuff, sin was that like you did something bad. Like, you know, you kind of basically sinned against God's will or whatever, you know, and it carries this heavy kind yeah. of guilt and emotion and shame. and Especially in Ireland. Well, particularly in Ireland. Yeah. You know, in, in yeah. many places in the world, like, ah, sin, yeah. you so, but when you so describe it there about missing, missing is different to kind of committing some atrocity against God's will, you know, yeah. and uh, e- even that changes our view on things. Definitely, definitely. And it brings me back to the point that I, I forgot actually um, what I was going to say is we, we often were, were, like we talk about today the technology that we have today and we talk about attention economics like everything is competing for our attention we are being bombarded by stimuli by messages and all of the the different things that are going on and we often like we think well what does the ancient wisdom know it's so long ago we live in a different world but I think people back then whether it was Aristotle whether it was Plato whether it was Buddha whether it was um I don't know who, who was the um, Jesus of Nazareth, whoever yeah. was actually the, the, the coming up with the teachings of the times. They just spent so much time reflecting on this stuff and practicing this stuff and teaching this stuff as well. And there's just so much to be learned yeah. by these people that just this is this is what they did 24-7 all the time. And it's just really, uh, uh, the fact that it's so applicable, Stoicism, maybe we could get into yeah. Stoicism again, the yeah. fact that these pre-practices are so 
uh, applicable to today, probably more so than yeah. they've ever been, because we need to strip back, we need to simplify more than ever. Yeah, I, there's, a, there's a great kind of visual of the, the kind of wise person walking behind as, as civilization runs off into into the into the horizon. The wise person is behind them picking up all these little jewels of wisdom that we kind of forget as, mm. as we run towards the horizon of, of uh, development. And I think the, the value in the old teachings is that they become more relevant. Yeah. Now they there is definitely an element though of Someone could read. So I have. I was. I, I mentioned it before. At the moment, I've found this. It's a text from Kashmir about four thousand. Imagine four thousand years ago, and it's describing the hundred and twelve ways to enlightenment. You know. Wow. <laughs> Very specific. That's a list to go blog for you now. <laughs> you know, and and sometimes the the language is old because it was translated maybe in the Victorian time. So sometimes the language can seem inaccessible a little bit. Yeah. But within that, then there's so many things. So, so the first three or four of the 112 ways to enlightenment, and enlightenment, you know, could mean f you feel whole again. You know, you, you understand. The, you know, there's loads of ways you could define enlightenment, and it's probably different now than how it was there. What would your definition of enlightenment be if you look oh. back? At, if you take their definition, what do they mean when they said enlightenment? What do they mean for me? The word awareness, and I know that can be a little bit cryptic as well, because different people have a different uh, idea of what awareness is as well. But for me, enlightenment is to be aware of our emotional and mental and physical bodies mm. and the external environment as well. So uh, they are not pulling us around like a puppet. Yeah. It's basically taking the strings and and catching catching the challenges of life and surrendering to the challenges yes. of life so it's not robbing you of your energy for me energy and awareness are the two words but that more at a more practical yeah. level that's what enlightenment yeah. is so there so if that's what we're after the the list and this is from four thousand years ago yeah the first three on the list the most important are about breathing you know so i was like immediately whoa whoa, whoa yeah. what's this but just in terms of how aware we are, so most people are aware that we breathe in and we breathe out. And a lot of practices in, across all the different kind of breathing practices are usually focused on one or the other, like like in the ice bath, focusing on the exhale, you know, or if you want to be more energized, focusing on the inhale. But the three practices they talk about are the movement in the body from the inhale to the exhale. So there's this moment that we breathe in and there's a moment space yeah mm. before we breathe out mm. and it's focusing on that moment so like the first two or three are describing the practice of being aware enough of ourselves that we can recognize that there's a point in time that we're not even breathing we're kind of between that turning point and it's focusing <clears> on that point that kind of builds our awareness of things and and, and the rest of them are all what we now kind of call mild, mindfulness practices. You know, there's different forms of being aware of our thoughts or, our, you know, our reactions. But to me, that was so amazing that they, I hadn't even thought about the turning of yeah. the breath and what's in there. You know, and they describe the breath within the breath. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know for most people it's like, what? But to me, no, that was that's like, incredible. whoa, yeah. they have, this was so important to them that they dedicated this whole manuscript to it and that somehow that manuscript has survived 4,000 years. Wow. So I could find it online yeah. and look at it and go, there's something incredibly valuable in that, you know. And and that's, 
to me, that's astounding that it can still live on 4,000 years ago. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, and I think there's something about that. It just, it's a, it's, I felt it just there as you were talking about it. It just brings you deeper. Yes. Because I think one of the biggest challenges, and like we talked about, so Taoism would have been my, mm. my I, I was fascinated by Taoism and the Tao Te Ching, yeah. so the ancient Chinese book of wisdom. I think it's about 3,000 years ago, two and yeah. a half thousand years ago. And the, the starting words in that is the Tao that is named is not the Tao. Yeah. So the, the, if you if you if you if you think you can talk about it, you don't know it. Yeah. If those who do know it don't talk about it because it's nameless. Yeah. And it's 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 beyond language. Yeah. So it's like trying to verbalize these things that are unverbalizable. Yeah. If that's even a word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> unverbalizable. Um. But it's like and and this is one of the challenges that we have. And where you brought me to, and I think one of the the big points of some of these practices where like the in breath, the out breath, they're without language. But when you brought me to the gap between that space, all of a sudden there was just a feeling there. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to um, analytically analyze that because it's, it's beyond analysis, you know? Yeah. So there's a feeling and there's, there's a, 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 not a knowing towards, but there's something just pulling you towards yeah. that in a different way. And I think that's where the ancient teachings are really, really good. And they use the metaphors and even though things can't be named, they do try to name them yeah. in various ways. But like you're saying, the feeling you get from even thinking that there's a space between the breaths. Mm. But when we look at it in another way, we do it all the time. Yeah. So we mightn't be conscious of this tiny moment as the breath turns, but our body is. Yeah. Because it is breathing 20,000 times a day. It's turning from inhale to exhale and vice versa all the time. So it's it's like it's it's there somewhere. We're doing it. Yeah. It's just our mind becoming aware of it. And then when we become aware of it, it's like, Oh, that kind of feels different. Different, yeah. You know, and uh, and 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 I love that level of awareness of things. And and again, coming back to the the Taoist kind of idea that there's this flow in the universe, and if we can settle into the flow, yeah, then everything starts to kind of make sense a little bit. Yeah. And when you're describing the indescribable, you know, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of. So there's the Big Bang, right? And before the Big Bang is this point of singularity. And it's like, it becomes conscious of itself or something. It becomes all of a sudden not the indescribable. And then, and eventually matter comes out of that. And some, you know, I often think that what's described in the ancient texts is using a language of the time. And how we describe what we're experiencing now is just another language of the time. time. And it, we're, you know, sometimes I think even though it might be scientific language or, or you know, um, you know, quantum physical language that we're using now, are we all looking at the same thing but just using different vocabularies? Different vocabularies. For yeah. And then there's that, and then there's a universal language that's that's beyond even language. Like, yes. it's like a, a, a knowing an instinct that go. And you just reminded me there, like, so I, obsessed with language, obsessed with the thinking mind and the, the words mm. we use. That that was my biggest learning in my own recovery. That I was a that this sort of pulled me around in circles, my my inner dialogue. And one of the explorations I went on was, well, what's the what's the where did language come from? How did it evolve? And what is the power of it? And I was sort of, um, 
I, I don't know where I how I went on this journey, but I was looking at the Big Bang, right? So yeah. eight, eight to thirteen billion years ago, in and around, in and around us, they, they get the guess we have, and then language evolved. So we started to start communicating, probably uh, 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 to each other. Yeah. Let's say a certain amount of time, but language sort of began evolving about hundred and fifty thousand years ago. Very basic it's so linguistics. So young, though, isn't it? So young, right? So in the in the, in the part of in, in terms of the Big Bang to when it evolved, it was I don't the maths on it, right? So it was point zero 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 six seven percent of the the time, or two or three zeros, yeah. I forget now. So um, basically, it's a, a little blip. Language is a little blip on the on the scale of reality that yes. the world has been here. And in the last couple of thousand years, like we have evolved this very um, comprehensive li linguistic yeah. system with consonants, vowels and all yeah. these different things. And then um, we're describing the nature of reality with that. And I often think, is it arrogant that we think we can describe <laughs> something that the thing we're using to describe it is only evolved in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Like we're like little ants on the carpet talking about calculus. Yeah. <laughs> like if those other beings looking down, look at them trying to talk about reality and science for all of these things. It's fascinating. It's, inc though, it's incredible. It? It's incredible, yeah. And I think that points to the courageous nature of the human spirit in a way. Yeah. You know, it, it, the, the boldness. Like, yeah, the boldness, <laughs> the boldness of it. You know, yeah. we, we're given it our best shot. We're trying to describe these, like the Taoist, the indescribable void, you know, yeah. or what happened before the Big Bang and before that, you know, we're trying yeah. to, we're trying to get a grip of all those things with this way of communicating that is so young. Yeah. So young. And, and, there, and part of me thinks that that's where our nervous system comes in is that we're, we are in, in a way experiencing so much of this uh, that's beyond language. Like you, you can experience an emotion and we give that emotion a label, like love, for example. Yeah. Love for me is a really difficult one to define. You know, Big time. if I look at the definition of love in, in a dictionary, it's a like great affection. You know, the love I feel for my children is beyond, you know, it's not great, great affection. affection yeah. what, it's nearly impossible to describe. Yeah. yeah. But you, f you know, but I can feel it. Yeah. And I know where it feels like. I know what it feels like to the lack of love. Yeah. You know, but you know, so, so that's where I think sometimes our, uh, because our bodies have evolved over that, those eons. Yeah. Sometimes it's the feeling that is nearly more whole than just the, the language that is quite new that we're trying to describe it with. Yeah. Definitely, I totally agree with that, and and, and we can get attached to these labels, mm. and that's the problem. So it, we need the labels to describe these things, but if we become attached to that label and it, we get rigid within that label, yeah. well, then you're in you're in a you're in a world of problems. It was like there was a great guy called uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, right? Great philosopher, very Good name, great <laughs> name, great. He was an, an absolute beyond genius. So he was a philosopher beyond genius. So he wasn't only so good that he came along and he was looking into the science of language. So nobody could figure out the science of language, but he actually figured out the science of language. Wow. But he was so good that he figured it out and he says, that's all that can be done in it. That's it. Done and dusted. <laughs> We're done. I figured it out. And and science took him. Yeah, he's that good. He got it. And, and what he said was, right, so his his initial one, oh God, I'm going to forget the name. It's very complex, actually. It was the, the picture book, uh, Philosophy of Language. So like the laptop is on the table. We can see the laptop, yep. we can see the table, it's on the table, we can see it. But he says, anything else we talk about, if it can't be touched in reality, it's nonsense. 
Okay. It's absolute nonsense. So love is nonsense. We can't touch it. It doesn't exist. We can't, nonsense as is, we can't talk about it because it doesn't exist in reality. And that was his first picture book theory of language. Now he was so arrogant as well. He was a pure genius. He went off, went to the war, went into the trenches of the war to experience something else. Came back eight, eight years later and says, I was talking nonsense actually. I got that <laughs> wrong. Here is what language really is. Here's the new philosophy of language. And science says, oh God, he's right again. So he was like, wow. he was a phenomenal tinker and something you touched on earlier just a while ago so he says language we cannot even talk about language he says it's about all we can do is point in a certain direction we play these language games mm. right so we're playing the podcast language game yeah. right now we're jumping into the, the religious language game we're jumping into the science language yeah. game but these games they all play by the same rules but they're all very different you can't really like a religious person can't talk to a science person it mm. doesn't really vibe together so we can just point the way there's a bit of a family resemblance between the different yes. games but they're different games mm. that don't talk to each other and there was there was a word that it, that he said a line that he says that captures the essence of language games and it was some guy I forget some English or religious guy was saying God doesn't want a brain God wants a heart any old cabbage will do for a head <laughs> God wants is a heart and says I went against science and only a religious person could say that yes. but in the game that's that's what I was talking about so he was saying we can just point towards but we can't really say anything wow. it's, it's an interesting way of thinking so, about so it would it be correct to say that, say, let's say within English language and we have people talking, that within the English language, there's like sub-languages based on subjects. So like there's the a science yeah. language, there's like the accountants have their own language. Yeah. And sometimes you see this in, in different disciplines where some people love acronyms, you know, like in the financial markets, they talk in acronyms mm. and in, in accountancy, they talk in different acronyms and in education, they talk in different acronyms in ac academia. And it's like they all have their own little separate version of English going on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the games don't really, we, we, we're all playing the same games, like you talk about the rules apply in the same way. So that's the language game, but they're different games. There's, there's, there's a different yes. kind of games that you play within the disciplines. That'd be one way of looking at it, yeah. And that's, that must be sometimes hard to bridge those gaps. Yeah. Because you know? if they're different games, they're related, but everyone has a different value on different language. Then when you try to bring people together, they're kind of talking about you're talking in two different ways, maybe about the same thing, but maybe not about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it, uh, it's where the confusion can lie as well. And then, yeah. then you bring, uh, bring it back to the Tao. When you talk about these ancient yeah. wisdoms and stuff like that, that nothing, none of these things can actually be named. Yeah. It's just fascinating to think that we, 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 we think of language because it's everywhere, like the breath. Yeah. There's so much more depth to uh, it yeah, than absolutely. that we than we actually yeah. than we actually really recognize. We take it for granted because we we're using granted. we're using it all the time and we're yeah. going through life and we're assuming that when I and I I see this raising the children all the time. I say something to them that I think is really clear. <laughs> like, could you go to the shop and could you please buy this and this and bring the change back or something? They understand it in a totally utterly different way. Yeah. They'll go to the shop and because their little minds and their experience is different, <laughs> they'll see the thing that I want them to buy, but they'll say, oh, but dad always says this, you know, and they'll come back with something else, you yeah. know? And, uh, and it really strikes me with little humans, and it's a lesson for big humans, is that the thing we think is clear when we say it out yeah. It has to be perceived by the other person. That's and our lens. Yeah. They have a different lens. <laughs> different lens. Oh, God. So speaking of that, though, so God, small mm. little word Ooh. causing all types of problems. 
meaning different things to different people. What would you what would your view be on the concept of God, the meaning of God, the word God? Right. So a lot of I've read a couple of ancient texts, not too many, I have to say. Um, but I have read a couple of ancient texts. But a lot of what I've learned, I've read through the lens of other great translators. Yeah. I think Eckhart Tolle is one of the best mm. translators out there of the ancient texts. And there's something that he said that really struck a chord with me. I always I always remember it. It's to enter the kingdom of heaven we must return as children. And he says the real translation of that, so people think to enter the kingdom of heaven is to go up to this thing in the sky where God with the beard is up there and we must return as children. I don't know what most people would make of that. But why he says the translation of that is that the kingdom of heaven is presence, it's awareness, it's the energy we feel when we're not up in our thinking mind, deluded and suffering according to Buddhism. And to enter that heaven, we must return as children, we must Mm. go back to our roots. As the Tao says, we get caught up in the 10,000 things, but we must go back to our roots. And it's like little curious kids going around, being fascinated by the world, pre-labels, pre-language. Yeah. All yes. of these different things. And for me, God is just, God is a funny one because it even jars me because I just instantaneously associates that, that, that yeah. man up in, up yeah. in the man the with the beard. beard. So yeah. <laughs> obviously that is not it for me. For me, God is awareness. It's, it's beyond comprehension yeah. but I think awareness is the is it's it's the unknowing the place where, where we can't go the indescribable yeah. as you say yeah. it could be the space between the breath yeah. or, or yeah. I think it was again Eckhart Tolle talking about that like you hear a dog barking in the background so we hear the dog barking but check out the silence between the barks yeah What's there like, you know what I mean? So is that where God lives? Like is that yeah. where that lives? Like, you know, it's beyond beyond comprehension. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so born in Ireland, you know, yeah. being surrounded by the idea of God being um, a, a kind of character. Yeah, the know? Almighty. Yeah, kind of looking down. And, yeah. and very early on in my life, I really, as a child, just totally rejected that idea because I could, well, it couldn't make sense to me that, that something, some person up there would be allowing terrible things to happen. Yeah. You know, and, and that kind of, that kind of idea of a character, you know, it kind of never really sat with me very well. Now I respect everyone's faith and everyone's religion, yeah. but I would see, you know, as you're saying there, uh, Timothy Leary, the great kind of advocate for psychedelics was always mm. talking about people having a personal religion. You know, I think some of the mm. big religions might've started in one way, but became like these corporations and it became kind of ways of maybe controlling people's views on things, but they lost essence of maybe what, what is, the thing, the indescribable thing. And I think it's nearly down to everyone's experience. You know, it's, it's totally difficult to describe, you know, but it causes so much problems. Oh my God. It causes so much problems. Like even in Ireland, your view of God or your view of religion has caused endless centuries of, of violence and things. And I think, I think for me, if there is a, a thing we can label as a God, it, that it has to be kind of love. You know, it has yeah. to be awareness. It has to be the indescribable. Like when I was trying to describe, I can feel love for people, but I can't describe it. You know, and, and maybe for me, if 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 all of us have like a personal religion, for me, that's kind of what God could be. You know, mm. the love that can transform us. But it's my view on God changes all the time. You know, at the beginning, I rejected it outright. Yeah. Then I went looking for it. To, you know, how do other religions describe? It? How do other people describe it? 
And I think it's, it can be very emotive for people. The yeah. word God is tiny, G-O-D, and it immediately brings up all these feelings in people. <laughs> I, I love, Hin- I, I, I remember reading a book, it's crazy, I read a whole book on Hinduism and all I can remember is two concepts from it, but it's the God within and the God outside. Mm. So I think it's the Aman and the Atman, I yes, don't know which one it the is. the Godhead. But the, the Godhead, yeah. yeah. And it's the God within is like that, that, the, 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 that, that carefree joy, presence, yeah. moment, the awareness, the feeling of just love, I suppose. Yeah. Whereas the God outside is, I'm not even too sure what that is. It's, it's nature. It could be all yeah. of those different things, yeah. but it's, you feel it. And uh, the only time I remember, like when, when I, I had a shift in perspective, so it was when I had that huge shift after mm. me addiction through copious amounts of suffering, let's say, and, and, and physical struggles that I went if you're interested in learning more about my work, you'll find me at breathewithniall.com, breathewithniall.com, and breathewithniall on Instagram too. If you're interested in my work, you can find me at brianpenny.com, that's P-E-N-N-I-E, brianpenny.com, and on Instagram under brianpenny78. That's it. Epic. Talk to you later. <laughs> nice and easy. I love that. I love that.